tell me one thing, Burke? You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back, but to wipe them out. It's just one of those things managed to wipe out my entire crew in less than 24 hours. And if the colonists have found that ship, then there's no telling how many of them have been exposed. Do you understand? I ain't much for begging. Nobody ever gave me nothing. So I say, fuck that thing. Let's fight it. Organism, the Alien Saga podcast, is brought to you by the generous support of our incredible patrons. To learn more, please visit www.perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast. I am your host, J.M. Prater, and I'm joined by my host, Patrick, co-host, Patrick Green. What, 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 what? And today we are recording a commentary for Ridley Scott's incredible film that started it all, Alien. But don't start the movie yet, because yeah, this we is, have yeah, some so stuff to say. we have a brief technical say. note. So, so, so it's okay, don't start the movie yet. This, and, and you know what? If you want, you can just listen to this just in your car if you want to just have an oral experience. But if you want to watch it synced with the movie, basically experience. right now, Jamie and I have it. We have it, we have it uh, <laughs> paused right as the 20th Century Fox logo comes up. And we're, we're both watching the theatrical cut <laughs> of the movie, the original one, superior one, Sorry, in my opinion. Sorry, I couldn't help but take that joke. We are having an oral experience tonight, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> 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 oh, man. Uh, so 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 don't worry. We are not passing you by. This the movie has not started yet. So uh, we're gonna pause it right here, and then when it's time to go, we are gonna be really clear about it, and then we're all gonna start this thing together at the same time. Okay, back to you, buddy. So yeah, uh, so we Patrick and I have been discussing a commentary track for Alien for quite some time with Alien Day. Uh, when Alien Day was kind of on the horizon, we decided, or Patrick decided, and he talked to me about it, saying, hey, let's let's do this and release it for Alien Day. And I thought, fuck, yeah, let's do it. Because um, you know what? There's nothing cooler than, like, we've gotten fan mail from people saying, fan mail, we've gotten emails from people saying, you know, like, when I listen to your podcast, it reminds me of, you know, when I was a kid and I was watching my favorite sci-fi movies in, you know, my friend's parents' basement, and we were all, like, camped out overnight talking about these movies together. And, and so that's kind of what we're going for. You know, like we've all seen anybody, anybody who cares enough about Alien to seek out a freaking Alien franchise podcast and also listen to an extended commentary track on it probably has already watched all the director's commentaries and, you know, all the different things you can. You, you guys all know the behind the scenes stuff like we do. So this isn't this isn't going to be that commentary. We're not going to be, you know, bring up factoids every two seconds. But basically what we want to do is recreate the experience of we're all kind of hanging out, drinking beer, watching our favorite movie. And uh, and talking about it together, so that's that's sort of what we're doing. And really, I think for me, my best memories of being a kid was watching movies with my friends, and I feel like uh, I've been given the gift of doing that again. 
um, and not just watching movies with my friends, but talking about them and experiencing them and not just reliving my childhood. It's a little bit different. We're all grown now. Um, and I have new friends. Patrick is a new friend. Feels like we've been friends forever. Um, but it's just a way to really talk about what we love, talk about what brings us together. And that's what these films are about. And so this, this commentary is really going to be about uh, everything. I mean, again, like Patrick said, not about you know, the behind-the-scenes stuff, because we do. We're fanboys and girls. We all know that stuff, or a lot of us know that stuff. Just kind of like our emotional responses, our, hey, man, that's so cool response, or whatever. And uh, uh, Alien is really stands apart from the series, um, and we'll get more into that as, as when we start the film. But uh, that's really... Totally. Hey, speaking of which, you want to start this movie or what? Let's start the movie. Should we do it? All right, so I'm getting my control out. Again, last time we'll say it, this is the 1979 theatrical cut. Uh, and we're watching it uh, together tonight. So we're going to go ahead and unpause it. Again, right now we're on the 20th Century Fox logo, so make sure you're queued up. We'll give you a couple seconds to do that. and uh, Or, you know, pause it if you're not there yet. Pause the pause the uh, audio feed. And then we're going to go ahead and uh, press play. You ready? In three, two, one, play. The opening of this movie is incredible. It's not like any other film in the series. And, and, and what I love, so like right now, you know, we're starting off and there's only one thing on the screen other than this, you know, this band of dust around this planetoid. And it's just this like singular, you know, uh, letter form right in the middle. And then the other one fills in, then the other one fills in and with the symmetry and there's all this distance between them. And I feel like it's like this incredible evocation of the abstract becoming real and the space between things being filled out. And, you know, this was, this was by uh, Richard and Robert Greenberg uh, of our Greenberg associates. And it was the second thing they ever worked on. The first thing they did was Superman um, the year before. And, uh, and this is like such, I mean, it's, it's so hard to separate yourself from how iconic this freaking opening sequence is because, you know, we see this done all the time now because this, this exact aesthetic has been, copied and parodied and reused by everybody because it's so iconic. But at the time it was very avant-garde. So what we're seeing here is actually that's Helvetica, uh, Helvetica black later on in the franchise, they switched to aerial, um, aerial black or aerial bold, depending on the application. And, um, I know this is getting kind of type geeky, but it's an interesting distinction because, because the letter forms are slightly different, but what they have in common is this very symmetrical humanist thing that looks both perfect and human at the same time. And it's, it's something so simple and yet so effective. Um, and you know, you've seen, I'm sure the original logo for this thing was, uh, looked terrible. It was all this sort of like this flesh and bone alien mess. Um, and this is just so much more elegant. Okay. So now here we got, here's the Nostromo coming. I just love this. Like it just, I, I I have said for a long time that Alien is Forbidden Planet, um, and I really just the whole opening, just the the ambiance, the grandeur of it, the slow panning across the ship, the time that the camera is taking to to see into this world is just breathtaking. 
I feel like if if you didn't know that that had to have been a miniature, you would never have guessed it was. It's like it looks so incredibly real from the outside, mm-hmm. and they put so much effort into it. And and I mean, so much of this is due to Ron Cobb. Like this hallway that we're looking at right now, um, his technical draftsmanship was so superior to anybody else working in Hollywood at the time. And so I feel like it was such a. I, I just feel like Brandywine really lucked out when they got him on board. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's the drinking birds, iconic. The ship, man. The ship is amazing. And I know that uh, this opening is kind of repeated a little bit in both Aliens and uh, Prometheus and Alien Covenant. But yeah. nothing, none of those films really, like Nostromo feels like home to me. Uh, unlike any other ship feel, felt, feels like home. There's well, the, it feels very lived in, too. Yes. You know? And there's there's this, the padding, like there's these strange like the ribbing the padding around yeah. the ship it just it gives it a sense of warmth um it just feels like home and it does it feels like everything makes sense where it is um it's right. very utilitarian it's very industrial it doesn't look like 2001 pretty or star wars i mean i guess there's a little bit of there's a little bit in common with star wars there's a little bit of the millennium falcon in this for sure but of course it's very 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 different Right. So now, if if you notice when the camera was th- this incredible steady cam shot, this this long establishing take, there's a moment where the pages of a book visibly rattle in the wind, and uh, and I've never really quite known how intentional that was. I'm I'm assuming that was a decision that they obviously it was intentional. They kept it in there, but I mean, it's implying that the camera is physically present in the space. That it's almost like an observer walking mm-hmm. around. You know, it's not just this sort of like invisible eye, and. Uh, I don't know. It's interesting. Maybe, or maybe it's like the HVAC system turning on because they're getting this transmission and the ship's waking up. I don't, I don't know, but there's a reason there's that. And they even, I mean, they put a Foley cue in there, right? Mm-hmm. There's a diegetic sound cue of wind rattling. So like, there's a reason why they have that. And I, I have never understood. And I actually the alien way. minute guys do it on oh, me too. Yeah. The alien minute guys have a really cool bit about that. If, if anybody who listens to perfect organism does not also listen to alien minute and, and now aliens minute, um, you should subscribe to that. I just love this hallway. I love the the blowing of the wind uh, on the the jackets or clothing there. Um, there's a similar scene in Aliens, by the way, when they open the uh, the door to the colony and you see the wind and it blows this thing. It's very similar to this. Mm. I just love this room. It's like a womb. It is just man. This ship is. I wish it was around still. I wish the set was still around. I know. I'm sure it is in pieces somewhere, or you know. There's incredible music here too. Yeah, I don't want to talk over it because it's so beautiful. It really, it's just this is some of uh, some of the best music in the whole film, I think. Kane's diaper. Kane's <laughs> diaper. <laughs> it's funny. My, my wife and I, uh, we always joke about how everybody in hypersleep just looks so incredibly comfortable. Like, yeah. Even though, like, they you know they wouldn't be because they're obviously transitioning back into like you know sapient life again, but. Um, they just look so comfortable. I think part of it's because we have young kids and we never get to sleep. So the idea of just falling asleep for months at a time is like really, really appealing to me. I'll just, again, I love the time that this is given. One of the reasons why I love alien so much is because this film breathes. It is, Mm. it is not breakneck pace. It's breathing. It breathes and breathes and breathes. And, um, 
that's one of the reasons why it's so brilliant is because it give it gives time to every every character every moment every that stretched his Kane's look up it's just magnificent that's what I miss and here we go there's so much storytelling happening right here oh yeah with just these, these subtle character and again it's a steady cam right it's this this roving steady cam shot that's just it's like it's like we are the eighth passenger you know when there isn't one I have, I have a quick note for people about those drinking birds uh, we have a number of them, and if you don't really assiduously take care of them, they take on too much water, and they get super moldy and disgusting. So, so we we don't actually get to use them anymore because they're all they're all gross. But they are available on Amazon for ten bucks. If yeah. you get two of them for ten dollars, so you know. I bought one myself, and I tried to make it work, and it worked for a little bit. But yeah, like you said, it just I was mad too. I was like, "What the fuck? I want this to work." Well, because these things, you know, it looks like they run forever in these movies, but if they don't, you know, if you don't if you don't like constantly keep up with it, then yeah, depending on how it. how long that they were asleep, there's no way that that bird was going for six months. Yeah, that's bullshit. <laughs> that is bullshit. This movie, Scott. this movie's a failure. <laughs> <laughs> Covenant sucks. So in this one, this one ensemble scene, you can see all of these different interplays. You can see the Parker and Brett whole thing going on where they're you know complaining because they're you know getting different shares out of this whole thing. You can see how Dallas is kind of this, you know, he kind of is a little bit beleaguered and kind of just wants to be over with this stuff. You can see the way Lambert's just like observing them. Mm -hmm. And then now you get this, I, I love, again, speaking of Foley effects oh, right too. here, it's just so tactile yeah. and so gratifying yeah. when he just like pushes that key card. Oh, oh yeah. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it just, it's like so satisfying for some reason. Yeah, absolutely. And here is mother. Oh, I just love, this again, another womb, another. It feels so comfortable and comforting in there. Like, I just want to like have an overnight in there. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's so beautiful. And you know, in Alien Isolation, for those of you who have not played it, uh, well, in, in in one of the downloadable content, I guess in us, it's not a spoiler because it's a DLC thing. Um, you get to go in here right at the beginning of of it, and it's just like. I mean, I, I was brought to tears the first time I did it. It was such a powerful experience. And, of course, the Mozart is playing in the background. It's just this really powerful moment. I love the sound of the, the keyboard, the sound of the, the readout, the computer screen. Yeah. Again, very, very, very tactile, very satisfying. It's just, it's just, it's just so well done on every technical level. Like, all, like already the production design is completely believable. Mm -hmm. The ship, it doesn't. It, not only does it look like a ship that could believably fly and and you know process ore, but it also looks like a ship that people have been working in and smoking cigarettes in and leaving shit out in mm -hmm. for months. You know that that like these these people who are just waiting at home, they've been living and working in this thing, and uh, and. And it sounds like it, you know, like everything just, it just looks right. It sounds right. Yeah. And the, oh, that exterior shot is so beautiful. Yeah, it is. And of course that has, you know, was the, in, uh, the, the inspiration for Sevastopol. Mm -hmm. It's just, the ship is just incredible. It is incredible. It feels just massive and beautiful and elegant. And it's like a, a mon uh, uh, what do you call it? A cathedral. It's like a cathedral in space. Yeah. Oh yeah. With all this vertical projections it, it's so like anti-aerodynamic which i love you know because it doesn't matter like, in space right exactly there's no reason to worry about it but so much of uh what had come before you know i mean like if you look immediately before this you had x-wings and tie fighters you know mm. 
and Star Destroyers, which, which are all like very, they look very fluid and aerodynamic. And of course, you know, Ron Cobb worked on both films. So, uh, but I, I like how in this one, he uh, decided to take this much more workman, workman-like approach to it. And here we go, Parker and Brett down to the bowels. I love their banter. I mean, one of the reasons why I love the Alien series, the original, the first three so much is because of this banter. Because everything... You don't have no personality. That's such a great line. (laughs) And it's not like you're just kind of catching it. Like you're not like, it's not, it's just like just the banter for friends, people who work together, you know, it's just, that's what it is. Who, these aren't just people who work together. They live together. They're family, even though, you know, they might not all like each other. There's a great shot there um, behind Parker's head of some of the iconography that Cobb designed for the ship. Mm-hmm. And he, he, that's something that he put like tons and tons of effort into. But unless you're really watching it closely, you won't even notice. But, but it goes into this whole, you know, God, I'm going to say I'm going to say it already, but verisimilitude. <laughs> it, it plays into this whole believability of the ship because, um, you know, everything has like this. There's a universal signage system. And so you can navigate things in a, in a really believable way. So like even though you don't know what to look for. You're aware of its presence, and so because of that, even if you don't know necessarily what it means, you you buy it, you know. Mm-hmm. I love this. I love this. I love what Parker says. I love it that he's like, "Hey, well, where's the money in this?" Um, like it's just he's human. He's so human. Yeah, because at the end of the day, he just wants to go home and party. Let's be honest. Yeah. It's it's still I think one of one of my all time favorite lines from the franchise. When it comes up, I'm definitely gonna make a thing of it. What I also love about uh, uh, this ship and these people, and, and, <laughs> and a lot of and uh, a lot of films you see, especially science fiction films, they make, they show you, oh, this is how we create gravity. They don't even show you this. It's like we don't they don't need to show us this. They fixed right. it. They they found a way to create artificial gravity in space. We don't need to. It's science fiction. We don't need to sh- us, you to show us. You know, I just love that. Right. You, they trust us enough to know this is where we're at. This is the future. Here we are. Right. So now here's some really great, you, you know, on on, uh, on Shoulder of Orion, our sister show, um, Dan and I had this um, tech episode about uh, the spinners recently, which I know you know, but people listening to this might not. And uh, and Dan is an air traffic controller, our, our co-host on that show, and he uh, – mentioned that the the verbiage during um, Deckard's flight over uh, approaching the police headquarters in LA is like completely accurate to the the sort of language that they use in a control tower and I wonder in this like you saw like Lambert's language is is so technical there where she's talking about like how they're approaching the apogee point and um, she's giving out the coordinates and all these different things and, and I wonder yeah here she's giving the mark you know um, the time. And I, I wonder how much of that is accurate. If anybody listening to this uh, happens to be uh, a NASA engineer, <laughs> please, please uh, go ahead and tell us. This this stuff here happening is some of my favorite parts of the film, just because again, it's 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 bringing us into the elegance and the exploration of space. This is mm. this is uncharted territory. This is this is stuff we're still not doing. We're still not you know traveling like this in space. So we might not be doing this for another. 150 years way after we're gone um but it's 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 it gives patience and time and uh reverence to what this could be like and how amazing it is and this is what i love about great science fiction this is what i miss in the alien series 
Um, this is what makes Alien so special. Um, is again, it, it's Forbidden Planet. Uh, I'll keep saying that. They're going down to this planet. They have no idea what to expect. Um, and we're being treated to this journey. Like, we're taking this journey with them. It's unbelievable. Wow. I just noticed the star field there. I've yeah, me, yeah me too. Yeah, that, that, I don't think I've ever noticed that before. I don't even think I've noticed this scene here. Weird. Well, part of it is because, you know, we're both watching. So, so you're watching this on digital, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I'm watching the I, I'm watching the 35th anniversary Blu-ray, which is the one that I kind of go to now because I, I really love the the interface for it. Um, and I think the pictures just been cleaned up so much that that a lot of things that in the past were sort of lost. Mm-hmm. It's it's amazing how they can do that. It's amazing. You know, you were talking about um, you know, a little bump coming up. You were talking about how uh, it's 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 so refreshing that they take so much time before any of the real action sets in. Like how there's this this sort of long, just setting up this you know this this paradigm for us to get used to. And uh, and I noticed that a lot because before we were recording a little bit earlier today, I was flipping through the Alien Illustrated Story comic, which I, I just I just love the one that. Um, Archie Goodwin and Walter Simonson did, which have you ever gotten to read that? I used to own it. I sold it years ago for a hundred bucks on eBay. Oh my God. <laughs> well, uh, if you pick up the 35th anniversary Blu-ray, uh, which I feel like I'm, you know, basically a, a salesman for at this point, you get a miniature version of it. So, um, really it's freaking awesome. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's like I a, do like have alien vault. vault, which I don't know if you own, which is fucking amazing. Vault alien vault. Yeah. It's that book with all of, uh, Ron Cobb's notes and, everything oh I mean, no i don't have you don't that. have vault oh my god it's, no. it's amazing you have to buy it i i find it so surprising that there's still shit i don't own this scene right <laughs> like, here man oh it's like my oh. entire lifetime i've been collecting this shit and there's still somehow stuff that i don't i don't have look yet. at this vault shit landing oh it's everything i love it i want to it's like i can't believe that it's not real those lights the mini i mean it's just yeah, like look at that. That exterior, like, like, like that. That to me looks better than Cameron's miniature work in Aliens. Oh, yeah. And Cameron is like one of the p- great pioneers of all time in that field. But to me, that exterior of of the landing there, like, looks so, it looks perfect. Um, what I was saying about the illustrated story, though, the comic is that uh, I flipped through to uh, like where the chestburster comes out of Kane, and it's like so far along. It's like it's like it's like over two thirds of the way through the the book, and, and that's the first time there's actually you know, like an actual, um, like threat on the ship in a, in a real way. And, uh, and, and it really kind of just hit me how, how much of the movie goes by before they're in any real significant danger. And I think it's, that's what's so great about it is it's like, you get this sort of constant ramping up in a lot of horror films. And I do consider this a horror film in a lot of horror films. Um, the, the, like you're afraid from the beginning, you know, like there's sort of an early scare 20 minutes into the movie. Usually it's like 17 to 22 minutes. Something will happen that will put you on edge. But this one, like nothing happens in that regard for like a, a, almost an hour, you know? Yeah. And um, yeah, it's just great. I love this, this moment with the light on them and they're just listening to hearing, hearing what's the problem, what happened. Very technical. Um, I just love it. I just I love how rudimentary it is. It's not important stuff, but it doesn't matter because it is important because it's character building. This is what builds right. character. What builds character is watching them respond. We're watching them respond to the situation. They don't really know what happened. This is what makes Alien great. Is this, right. look, this at that, look at a mobile behind Brett. What, yeah, what is that thing? Yeah, yeah. That's another thing I've, no, I've never actually noticed that before. I have no idea what that is. Those are dog tags? I don't know. It's funny, like when you when you're watching something 
closely enough to have to talk about it actively. You end up noticing all these things that yeah. somehow slip by. See, Lambert, you know, we talked about this on the show the other day. Yeah. Um, Lambert already very visibly more yeah. than everybody else. She knows something's up. Something's wrong. I love this. I love her. She's so understated. I mean, I'm sorry, but I don't, you don't, you don't beat these character moments from the, certainly from Alien, but these first three films, man, there is nothing like these. There's, these performances are fucking amazing. There's no characters like these anymore. Yeah. So 2,000 meters is is a, a very long like for for people who aren't used to thinking in terms of meters that's that's like you know over a mile, um, which considering the fact that this is like the topography of this thing is just a nightmare, and it's also like a howling windstorm, um, with a, a hostile atmosphere. I mean that is a serious hike back and forth, mm-hmm. especially wearing those freaking pressure suits. Mm-hmm. But a mile isn't also isn't much either. I mean, yeah, they're they're in the suits, but it's not long. You know, I mean, it's it's very doable. It's it'd be one thing if it's like three miles, that'd be fucking forever. Or right, eight. right, yeah. It's it's something you can do, but it but it's something that it, I guess it's just that like when you get that far away from the ship, you know what I mean? Like like a mi- you you can't run in a pressure suit on this planet. Mm-hmm. You know, you, like like it's it's not. I, I guess it's really a moon. I don't know how to keep calling it a planet. I love the the sound of the wind. I love the atmosphere in this. Uh, to me, the atmosphere really—it's haunting. It's—it's—it's it's, it's humbling. They're kind of in the middle of nowhere on some planet um, that they don't even know where they are. I mean, it's terrifying. Just the atmosphere itself is terrifying to me. Like mm-hmm. there is no film like Alien. I swear, man. I feel like I'm watching it for the first time. So that moment with Ash. What do you think about that? Um, it's it's curious. Uh, again, I think it's just it's kind of a moment of pause. Like, what is he doing? We don't really know. I like right, that. Right. They don't need to explain it. But it, but it is weird. Like, like every time every time I see that part, I'm like, what? Like what what is he? And and I, yeah, I love how they just have these like little tiny injections of strangeness into him, mm-hmm. leading up to the big reveal. But uh, here's the here's the kids. I love that. This is just That's so cute. Oh my god. Um, there's a very similar scene in Prometheus with a very similar, um, like a, a hailstorm or not hail, whatever that is. Um, that it was a great throwback to this scene in Alien. Mm. This, this, look at this. Look, look at how amazing that is. It's a little bit forced perspective, but who, what film? Is, oh my god! I just, I'm having like a a, a meltdown, an orgasmic meltdown. I just, can't <laughs> believe, I can't believe how amazing this film is. I know it is amazing. And and to think that that's all in camera, everything that we're seeing, like mm-hmm. those are those are small children wearing pressure suits against a matte painting in the background with a, you're right, a forced perspective exterior of part of the ship um, and just wind and rain inside Shepard and Studios mm-hmm. in England. And it's and it's just like something that they built and then they dis- disassembled and then shot a freaking James Bond movie in, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's just so, it's so weird to think that, that, that there was a time when studios put this much effort into building practical things. You know, I, I feel like on this show, uh, we, we, we both shit on CG quite a lot. And, and, and I, I feel bad about that because I think that there's 
some miraculous stuff you can do with CG, and I think that there's some truly great art being done with it. But I do have to say that um, you can't you can't come close to what we just saw with the with a green screen. Like well, it's you, just it's so believable. I agree, and I, you hit on something very. I was just thinking about actually sort of the opposite, where I I love theater, um, and I love theater. Not I mean I I like plays or whatever, but I one of the reasons why I go to theater is because it's that they can create an incredible space in a small space. For instance, my favorite musical of all time is the Phantom of the Opera, not so much for this music part of it, but because of the sets and all of it, and that they can create the depth of an opera house and the, 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 um, what do you call it? The, like the, the stair staircase inside this stage. And what I love about Alien and these practical films is they're essentially doing the same thing. They're right. creating these moments, this this atmosphere inside this soundstage. Um, and it pulls it off in a way CG cannot pull it off. CG is great for augmentation. And certainly at, at moments, you know, we have Gollum, which is amazing. And uh, right, who's right. so, so human and that we can identify with. Certainly, you know, props to incredible CG performances. But CG can't emote uh, plausible atmosphere the way actual practical effects can. And uh, Right. Uh, Maybe it will someday. You know, I, I mean, I, I feel like such a fuddy-duddy, you know, always always saying this over and over again. I think maybe there will come a time when CG will, will feel believable enough to supplant practical effects in a film. But to me, it just has never gotten close to that. You know, earlier today, I was recording um, the episode that is also coming out on Alien Day, the same day this is coming out, uh, with Gabriel Hardman, the the creator of Dust to Dust, the new Aliens uh, Dark Horse comic. And, and we, we actually got into this quite a bit. I, I actually didn't, didn't even bring it up. But I was talking about his, um, you know, the, the way that he was designing, uh, like his take on the Xenomorph, you know, for Dust to Dust, which uh, is amazing. And, and he was talking a lot about how he, more than anything, he wanted to convey a sense of weight to it and he, about how that was um, something that he felt was lacking in, oh, God, a shot of the yeah, derelict. Yeah. Just, that's my tattoo right there. That's what I'm getting. It's amazing. It's amazing. Oh, God. So be that's that's the shot that I, from for our um, eighth passenger video, that was my moment. Oh, God, it's just so breathtaking. And, and you know what's great about that scene of... of, of um, Look at that shit. Look at that... Look at it, that painting. It, it's amazing. It's amazing. And that shot of Ash in the cockpit or whatever, all that stuff, all the lighting outside of him is practical. They mm -hmm. created that. They didn't blue screen it. They created it. Um, yeah. And it's it's really, 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 really amazing. I mean, I, I there is no movie like Alien. There is no yeah. science fiction film like it. There has like, not been like one that, since. That shot, that shot through Lambert's helmet right there is, is literally just like a, a, a video camera looking at a painting. And you would you would never know it. It's so real. Yeah, I love that. We have to go on. We must go on. Yeah, of course, on. Kane, knowing what we know about his background. It's so funny how John Hurt ended up in this project. Like uh, the 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 fact that that he replaced this guy who got you know because because he was the first choice mm -hmm. for it, and then mm -hmm. oh god, that shot just kills me it's, every time. Look at those lights. It's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah, Lily Scott was the master. Yeah, Oh, amazing. Um, and then and then like John Hurt happened to be in a play nearby, so when the actor dropped out, he he uh he was like, you know what, I can still do it. Mm -hmm. Didn't the actor end up dying? I think um, he did. I don't I don't think so. I, but you know what? We'll have to look we'll have to, we'll have to look that up. Let me see if I can figure that out. Uh the shots of 
of Ash's face as he's watching, like he knows something. Oh yeah, I, I always thought of this as a boombox, and then and then oh, like yeah. like so as like a little kid, I always used to think it looked so much like they were walking into a boombox. Yeah. And then as a teenager, I was like, oh, those are vaginas. That's Giger making big old vaginas on the yeah. side of the ship. Yeah. He was as much a fan of vaginas as he was of of, of dick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it seemed. It seemed. Yeah. Oh my god, the ribs. It's amazing. It is. Oh, this is. There has been nothing like this, man. I will say though. I will say. I have to give props where props are due. Prometheus was fucking beautiful. The next most beautiful alien film after this was is Prometheus, in my opinion. Mm. Oh, the darkness, the richness of the blacks in this. Um, just the lights, the fogginess inside the. It's so amazing. I mean, it's so realistic too. Like, um, oh god. We need another Forbidden Planet like this. We need another. I would love another alien film that takes this this idea of exploration. I love how Kane is. We can get up that wall. We can get up that wall. Like he's so excited. He's so all about it. And of wow. course, you know, like like in Thomas Kane's past is a lot of darkness um, related to his ambition and his inability to control himself. Yeah. And you can, like just look at his eyes there. He's just there's no turning back. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's here. why it makes sense. So so you know something I will say about Covenant, and you know me, Covenant is oh. God, every every time I want to talk, I get distracted by the fact that like another masterful scene. I think that this particular set is the single most impressive set ever constructed for a Hollywood picture. Prove me wrong. I agree, and I think it's the most iconic moment in a sci-fi film ever. Look at that! Look at that fucking thing! It's like thirty-eight feet tall. I mean, and, and it's actually constructed. Yeah. Look at that. So what were you saying about Covenant? I don't even know what I was saying. What what the hell was I talking about? I was talking about um we we're talking about the aesthetic design and um I don't know. I don't know. This is I, just, I'm I'm I'm, t- I'm too in awe. It, uh, me too, man. Just Oh, Covenant. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, so I, I stick up for Covenant all the time because I love it. But something I will say is that Orem's ultimate demise um looking Suck. into the to the face hugger, it <laughs> I don't think it sucked. But I think it's less believable than what happened to Kane. So Kane, um, you know, he at, at this point in his career has uh, he's desperate and has nothing to lose, and he's somebody who is from the very beginning evincing this sense that he will do whatever it takes to get to the heart of what's happening. Like he is so compelled to um, to figure this out and to find the source of the beacon and to like, he's always the one saying, you know, like, like you mentioned, we have to go on, we have to get <laughs> Lambert uh, guys, we got to get out of here. Um, and so when Kane, it makes sense to me that when Kane comes upon the Ovamorph, he will look into it no matter what. Orem in Covenant is a little bit of a dumb dumb, And he also, to me, doesn't seem very curious um, so to me, it, it's a little bit less believable that he would actually look into the egg. I, it, like that's more of a leap of faith. That being said, you know he lost his wife and his crew was mutilated and uh, beheaded, and he's 
you know, in, at basically at the at the ascent of the universe in the company of a psychotic android. So you know what? Who am I to judge? Let's not go down this path, please. <laughs> <laughs> we will. We are going to have a, a covenant anniversary um, episode, uh, more of a roundtable. And boy, do I got shit to say. Man, something's up with Ash. He knew. He knew. He knew what they were going for. Well, he had special order nine three seven already. Yeah. Um. You know, I, I think it's impo- it's uh, it's important to point out. We were just talking about the miniatures. Um, a lot of the shots of the exterior. Then, oh my God, there it is again. Now it's I'm distracted by how amazing. beautiful the fucking derelict looks. I want that in my bed. I want to make well, love I'm, to I'm it. I'm literally getting that on my bicep in the in a matter on your of weeks. dick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting it on my dick. <laughs> so when um, you're making love, you can say I got the derelicts in you. <laughs> the derelict. The der- <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're getting dick hugged by the derelict. <laughs> Say we will about Giger, but he loves the dick and he loves the vagina. Well, he just likes dicks and holes and whatever, which is fine. They're good. Yeah, which, I mean, <laughs> those are bro- great things. Those are all great things. <laughs> this scene here, man. Oh my god! Like, obviously, it's it's a matte painting, and it is unbelievable. The music. I love yeah. the music. I just want to talk yeah. about the music. Yeah. The music is so compelling. It's like it reminds me of like being on a a ship on the sea or something. It's some of the music in this film remind me of um Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. Like I feel like it's very sea going. It's very I don't yeah. know. I, I I can't make any sense of what I'm saying, but that's just what I conjure. Yeah, yeah. Goldsmith uh, was a, such a brilliant composer. I, I feel like he's a little bit underrated in some ways. But th- this, I, I, this is probably my favorite of his scores. I think it's his most abstract, um, and I think he takes the most chances with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I agree. There's there's this definite sen- sense of adventure to it um, that I think is really uh, really amazing. You know, we should probably do an episode on that at, at some point because I, I feel like I, I have a lot to say about it. There really is, and uh, the evolution that the score went through and how, you know, they cut the score, uh, against right. his wishes in some ways. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, there's a lot to unpack with, with, um, the evolution of his score. And also, I don't know if you noticed, but, uh, it, this is probably not going to be too compelling for anybody listening to this, but, um, I found, I found the entire isolated soundtrack of alien, uh, today. And I, and I went through and I, uh, uploaded it to our shared, uh, perfect organism account. So we're going to hopefully get some, Pretty cool deep cuts from the Goldsmith score yeah. in some future episodes of things that aren't available on the on the normal soundtracks. Oh, this 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 shot is so amazing. Is anyway, incredible. just a point that a point that I was making a while ago that I, I should probably just wrap up uh, is um, a lot of those those shots of the exterior are um, so believable because Ridley Scott actually shot them himself at uh, two and a half frames per second, um, going incredibly slowly. So that's that's how we got that sense of scale. And then, of course, here, this, I mean, oh, my God, see the, the perspiration going upwards. Yeah, yeah, I love this. I love this scene. I love the, the movement, the clear, that it's, it's a clear egg. And interestingly enough, this motif or whatever I can't describe, the way they built this egg has not been repeated in any other alien film. Every other egg we see is not clear like this. They're all... Mm-hmm. Um, like leathery, and that's not. I, I would love to see if we get another alien film, which I know we will. Um, I'd love to see it return to this. Yeah, I, I'm. Uh, let's let this moment play out, and then we can talk about it. 
just because it's look it's, it's your mom <laughs> there we go wow mommy and then immediately cuts away to the window yes oh i love this moment they're letting it breathe they don't need to do this but they're doing it they're giving us space to to process what we've just seen and remember that this was at a time when there was no people had no idea what they were watching you know, like now the ovomorph is such a shorthand for so many things. Like everybody, if you see an egg with something popping out of it, like everybody knows what's going to happen. Everybody knows that it represents the xenomorph life cycle, et cetera. It's a parasite. But at this time, like there had never been an alien film before. So people watching this in theaters, um, you know, actually, uh, so Micah, my wife, her uh, grandfather had a heart attack watching it um what? in the movie theater yeah whoa did he survive yeah he's fine he's still he's still kicking he's doing great but he actually got like rushed to the hospital he's on a date wow with, uh, with her grandmother but you can imagine why i mean because it, it's so it's just so mysterious and then the fact that it immediately cuts so like so this this horrifying event happens and then immediately within a second it cuts off and you don't see anything and then this, and then there's this missing time, which you know we, we talked a lot about how great Annihilation is the film, and, and the book, um, and I think that's something they used really effectively in Annihilation is the sense of uh, of a gap in time, mm-hmm. you know the the fact that that they had this incredibly arduous walk back, but um, instead of instead of showing that like we know that's hard, like we know they're going to be struggling doing that, they're carrying this dead weight, they're horrified, they don't know how he's breathing, and um, you know, we get that as 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 viewers of the film. We don't need to see it. But the fact that it's such a quick cut, I think, is so effective from a suspense standpoint. I love the sound of this and the cracking of this like an egg. I love it. It's just yeah. so very pleasing for me. And then, of course, the movement of the facehugger on him. I mean, this is gorgeous. This shot, this whole sequence is unbelievable. And then when it slowly tightens its coil. Yeah, just I mean that's the best looking face hugger yeah. I've ever seen. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, you you get in the lighter films you get these, um, you know, these CG like uh, the worst one ever in my opinion is the, <laughs> the fucking an AVP Requiem. The face huggers in that are just they're just so disposable. Like they're just these CG floppy dumb things. Mm-hmm. This one, like like that is a real. I mean, it's literally a real creature. Like yeah. it's composed of largely organic matter, like mm-hmm. plants. You know. Um, but it also like it just looks like something that smells and and feels differently. It appeals to all these different senses, um, and and it's so it, the way that they regard it is almost like a, they're in a reliquary, like they're looking at something holy. You know, like they're so in awe of mm-hmm. this thing they know nothing about. And you touch on something that that term reliquary. I mean, that, that, that the whole film there's this ambience and reverence to everything. There's just the time that's being taken to to look at what they're looking at, whether they're exploring the derelict or um, they, it's believable. What is this? What, like it is really believable. I think in, in other science fiction films where people are supposedly exploring the unknown and they come across it, they don't seem believably disturbed by it. Um, Mm. These people are believably disturbed by what they're seeing. They've never encountered anything like this before. These are real human emotions and reactions to something uh, that is unknown. And uh, right. I, that's one of the reasons why I love 
this film. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I love the the scene with Ferris in Alien Covenant. It's because it's mm-hmm. one of the most visceral and believable reactions to something that you've never seen before. It's pretty amazing. Right. Dallas reminds me a little bit of um, Kurt Russell's character in The Thing. That kind of scruffy, mm-hmm. the longer mane, the beard. Yeah, he definitely has a very like late 70s to mid-80s look about him, I think. Yeah. That look is back, though. I mean, everyone looks it is, like it, that. That's, that's basically the way I look right now. <laughs> yeah, me too, except for the hair. You got the porn stash going on. Oh, thank you. <laughs> All about the dicks and the vaginas. <laughs> Maybe not the vaginas, but <laughs> um, no. So, so just to follow up on before, so John Finch, the guy that was originally Kane, uh, died in 2012. So he was fine. I love this. It's that what it's melting through is styrofoam, but we never even process that. Right. We just think it's metal. What I love about this Nostromo set, too, is they actually built the ship all interconnecting. So the cameras and everything had to fit in there to um, film this. They didn't, it wasn't like just part of a set that they they went into, like the camera was on the outside of the set. This whole mm-hmm. ship was real. And they built it and right. the cameras went inside it. Um, right, it was huge. Yeah. It was huge. And the lighting, as you can as you can see very clearly, is uh, is almost entirely just practically built into the set. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's there's no huge light rigs, um, and it just it and and that's something Scott I think does better than just about anybody else. Um, it's just yeah, it looks it looks so real. Even though a lot of the time, you know, to to get the sense of scale, they they reused hallways by just flipping them over. Mm-hmm. Um, you would you 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 can never, you know, notice that. Something that that has always stuck with me is um, how much leverage, how much use they got out of those little pyramidal things at the bases of the ladders, because uh, that. You know, they're basically like the only reason that there's anything raised there was so that especially Ripley could could crouch um, and then look like she was coming up from a level below. When in reality, it was just mm-hmm. one level. Mm-hmm. But uh, but there's all these little tricks that they have. You know, there's mirrors. They, they turn the hallways around. They have those fake entrances. They have those things on the floor. And, and it contributes to the sense that this ship is is actually a real, genuine, enormous vessel in space and the reality of it of course is that it actually is just an enormous film set but it really it really truly is huge and i just really i want to say you know the the talk about the the artistry that went into building a set like this imagine i mean this was painstakingly made by many 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 people over the course of several months every tubing every air duct every um everything i mean the the, the lights the panels Everything. Then you have the set decorators and the art direction. I mean, this took thousands of hours by uh, a crew to make this ship believable. And we don't even think about it. We just, it's the ship and, you know, we love it. But uh, these are the unsung heroes, you know, the people who constructed this set. Um, It'd be Mm -hmm. amazing to actually talk about some people who built this set. Totally, totally.
again, just the sense of dread. This, this to me, reminds me a lot of Denis Villeneuve's uh, work. This and Hitchcock too. I think this, and again, we're back in a Steadicam shot, right? This free roaming, just camera operator. This might have been Scott. I don't even know. Um, just very slowly moving through this set. Mm-hmm. There's such a sense of gravity to it. Mm-hmm. And again, like look at these freaking tubes. Yeah. It's just so beautiful. Yeah, it's so beautiful, and it doesn't look old at all. It does not look like it's aged in the same way. 2001 mm-hmm. to me, it still looks just as fresh and just as new. Because I think uh, the choices they made, like the way what they're dressing, how they're dressed as characters, is very utilitarian. It's very industrial. People dress like that now. Um, right. There's right. nothing like, oh, that's so 70s. There's nothing that seems 70s about this film. Um, right. Maybe aside Except for the from the, the bandana, maybe. Um, right, right. Um, but aside from that, I mean, and, and, and maybe the tech. I mean, obviously, science fiction films made today um, don't have these kind of rudimentary lights and blinking whatever. They're far more sophisticated. But aside from that, this film stands the test of time. Yeah, but I, I mean, like the reality is, is if you're going to build a military vehicle, like if you're going to build, it, this is going somewhere, I promise. If you're going to build like an APC, like a personnel carrier, you're not going to have touchscreens everywhere because if something goes wrong, you know, or if you if a fuse gets blown, you're not going to be able to do anything with it. So you're going to have tactile instrumentation and, and buttons and things. When when you're building, oh, there's that great shot of the of the seal over by Ash. Um, when you're building something that's primarily first and foremost a utilitarian object which the Nostromo is, you're going to want to have tactile buttons that you know have redundancies and that you can you can feel and that will mechanically trigger some kind of a process so that you're not relying on a, some sort of a capacitive screen or some sort of a minority report sushi thing, you know? And that's something, again, I, I, I agree, and I think in Covenant is um, a little bit overdone, the sense that, that it's like so overtly futuristic, um, and uh, and Prometheus too, I think. Yeah, well, I, I have less of an issue with with Covenant uh, feeling overdone. In fact, I think they kind of took some steps back, and Covenant yeah. reflects a little bit more of this aesthetic. The problem I have with Covenant ship is it just it feels very bare bones. It feels very. Uh, it doesn't feel like. I mean, these people are spending a lot of time on the ship. It just felt like they didn't. Even the design of the ship itself, it just is boring. Uh, it just offers, you know. Uh, I think space flight is still something that we can't do. It's still this majestic, incredible, unbelievable thing that we can hopefully do one day. And I, I wished it could have more of that reverence. Aside from that, though, I mean, uh, again, I, 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 you know, the characters I really enjoyed in Covenant um, initially. I think that they were great. And the ship I feels a little bit more like the Nostromo, at least in the interior. Mm. I, I mean, I, I got to say, I, lo- I love the design of the Covenant. I think that the solar sails are really interesting, and I think that the, the way the ship's laid out is, is really fascinating. But I also think part of it is that it's a ship that wasn't designed to be really inhabited. Like, it's basically just a way to get a bunch of life pods transported farther than any humans had ever gone across the universe before. And then the ship was going to be basically abandoned when they got there and um, and the colony was set up. So, like, to, you know, like the Nostromo, like, they're they're doing work. You know, like, they're going they're going around and they're you know, toting their ore and, uh, and they're going to be awake in the ship, you know, doing things. And whereas the covenant, it was basically just like a, basically just like a way to get from here to there. There's that the beautiful interior shot of the Narcissus. Yeah. I love this love shot that. here. I love this shot of, of, it's a character moment. It's Dallas listening to his music, his classical music. Yeah. It really informs you as to There's who Dallas, Mozart, yeah. Dallas is. And what I love about, again, about alien is that these character moments, they show you, they don't tell you. Ash or Dallas doesn't say, "Oh, I'm this kind of a guy." Um, 
He, you just you get to know what kind of a guy he is. You see it in his face that he's he's pensive and he's thinking and he's processing. He's not talking, talking, talking. He's thinking. He's processing. I love that. Um, you don't see that anymore. A lot of these uh, these newer science fiction films, they're just they tell you what they do. They tell you who they are, as opposed to you exploring that. I think you are exploring these characters quietly as much as we're exploring this planet and the uh -huh. derelict. Let me make an alien film, please. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so just look at the at the at the bed that he's lying on there. Yeah. It's it's cantilevered out from the wall. So it's like a very simple device, but it's something that feels futuristic. Like yeah. it's something that could conceivably have been made in real life in 1979. Mm -hmm. But um, it just it just gives this 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 air of like gentle futurism. Yeah. But also, just from a storytelling standpoint. It allows you to see very clearly that the facehugger is not under the bed, um, but the camera again is. So the camera again is assuming this kind of eighth passenger motif, and uh, again here you can tell it's handheld, on floor level. It's not steady, um, and it's so like very clearly it, this low angle shot that's supposed to make it feel like the camera is alive, mm -hmm. and then of course here we have the you know the fake jump scares which have been copied interminably since this movie came out, but I think are actually very effective in Alien because you really don't know what's going on. You know, the facehugger was originally uh, green. Well, really? I mean, originally, originally, it was that, that turkey burster thing. Did you ever see, uh, did you see just recently, I think I uh, our friend uh, yeah. Cooksey, I think he put this up. Yeah, this Somebody made like a, a real maquette of what the original Giger turkey burster looked like. And I couldn't tell if that was a maquette or if it was a digital render of... of, of... Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was digital, digital rendering is so amazing these days. That I couldn't tell. Um, yeah. Well, you, you know more about that kind of stuff than I do, but to me, it looked totally real. Um, it looked just as real as Rachel too. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh. an inside joke. Me and Patrick have a lot of, uh, uh, of uh, discussion about how real Rachel in Blade Runner 2049 looked. That's true. Yeah, well, and, and, and also um, if it necessarily looked like, like the actress, but that's, that's for another podcast and another day. Um, but it, the, the reason why they ended up going with this, this flesh toned face hugger was look at the toenails. I never noticed that before. I'm sorry to cut you off. The toenails, the toenails on the thing or the fingernails. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's got fingernails. Look at that. Yeah, I'd nice. never noticed those before. Yeah. The, the details. And of course there's the oysters. Um, the detail is just incredible on this thing. <clears throat> I've never seen oysters. I mean, I've seen oysters, but I would never... This is done so well that it, it looks vaguely familiar, but absolutely unfamiliar because it's like innards, so that can look right. like anything. Right, which, which is exactly why... It, and look at how labial that is, you know? And, and that's exactly the point with, with this I organic production design. I wouldn't know if that looked labial or not. <laughs> <laughs> <Dicks and> vaginas. <laughs> um, the production design on this, part of what's so beautiful about it i think um is that they used actual you know organic tissue in ways that um were unorthodox so you have this plastic mold of the face hugger with you know these oysters sitting in it and some other seafood uh which i'm sure was delicious and uh and, and it looks it looks at once familiar and like you said and totally foreign and that's exactly what it would be like if you were encountering a carbon-based life form from another planet mm -hmm that was big enough to be able to perceive, you know, as something threatening. Like, it would probably look like that. It would look sort of like us, but nothing like us, you know? 
I just love how he's lit. Yeah. Again, the practical lighting. I love it. It's just each, each image is almost a work of art. She looks like a Vermeer. Mm. Just the way the light hits her oh, eyes. It's yeah. just some, it's like Sigourney Weaver is somebody that we've just known for so long, so intimately that it's 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 so easy to forget that she really was like a kid when she made this. Yeah. Know? Well, she wasn't really though. She was twenty nine. I mean, she was young, she was, but she was twenty nine. I, mean, I mean, compared to the Sigourney Weaver we know and love now, you know, yeah, who's this sort of, uh, you know, this this grand dame of the yeah. of Hollywood. You know, she she really was comparatively just a kid when she made this movie. Yeah. I, I can't even. Describe what her Sigourney Weaver and her character. I don't go gaga over movie stars per se. I mean, yeah, I've, I've met some in my life, and I've met you know Jean-Pierre Genet. I met him when I worked for Apple once and talked to him. Um, but Ripley, Sigourney Weaver, her character. I mean, it means she means so much to me. She got me through my my youth, the hardest parts of my youth, and uh, I'm fiercely protective of of her character and of her. Um, yeah, she just. She's just amazing, and, and again, that's 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 my big my big bone to pick with the Bloom Camp script, initially, um, or with the, the Bloom Camp proposal was was having Ripley come back, and I was just like, please, please don't. Well, because yeah. Resurrection was already hard enough for me to take. Well, well, that's different though. Resurrection was a wasn't Ripley; it was someone who looked like Ripley. Um, she was essentially Ra- Ra- Rachel two She was Ripley eight. Um, whereas my issue with Blum Camp, or not issue with the Blum Camp, if Blum Camp could have brought Ripley back in a way that was smart and she was useful, I'm all for it. And I think you would be too, if it, if it worked. Um, but uh, I, I, don't, I don't think I would be. But I, 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 cause I, I think I you have think a point, I... though. I don't think... I, But I, I think that bringing Ripley back... Well, Blomkamp even said, you know, for me, Alien and Ripley are, are, are the same thing. Alien is an alien without Ripley, and I understand that. And, I, and for many ways, in, in, in many ways, I emotionally I feel that she's my draw she's my catalyst she's she's the anchor point in the prequels I don't have that and uh, that's what I sorely miss and I think returning us to Ripley um, gives us someone to believe in and I I, I think but you also have a point that we've been there and done that do we need to do that again you know Harry Harry Dean Stanton of course um was improvising during this. This might be on one of the commentary tracks, so I apologize if this is a, a rehash, but uh, when, when Ripley asked him why he says right all the time, he apparently was like, well, why don't you go fuck yourself? And then he like, <laughs> thought it was the funniest thing ever. I love Harry Dean Stanton. He's such a great presence. And for those who don't know, not that we get too much into trivia, but Veronica Cartwright played the little girl in Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. Um, when she was probably 12 or a little, maybe a little bit younger. Her sister, um, Angelica Cartwright, was Ber- Louisa in The Sound of Music. She also went to go on to play in Lost in Space, the original uh, 60s series. So she comes from movie loyal- royalty, loyalty, movie royalty. Uh, she's... Uh, I love look at look the way Lambert is just standing back and pensive yeah. and she's staring at him. She's terrified. Like she doesn't know how to like she feels it's like she's looking at something she's never seen before. Freezerios. 
<laughs> I love that shot of Parker. That's a break. <laughs> and here we go, the last supper. And there we go, there's Ash's Ash's look. I love that. <laughs> I love Blambert's reaction to that. Ash is the only one to not get up. You know, I've talked on the podcast before about this moment and about how oh, it's just incredible. Oh, it's just it, just the fact that this was all one take and that was it. Yeah. But I, I've talked before on the podcast about how I, I wish I could have had the experience of not knowing what happened here the first time I saw the movie and how what an amazing thing this must have been for people who you know were alive when it came out and who were in theaters and who saw that without already knowing it was coming. Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine. That must've been so scary. Do you remember what first chest bursting scene you, you saw? I know for me it was in aliens. Um, when they find the woman and she starts being chest bursted. That's the first time I'd seen a chest burster. And it was disturbing to me to say the least. I mean, it was disturbing. It was just unbelievable. I mean, it was gr grossed me out um, it was so real. Um, that kind of body invasion. Um, it was terrifying. Uh, so, so elementally horrible. Um, the, the first time I saw it was an alien, but, but I, I had seen it alluded to, um, in space balls. And it's also just something that, I, you know, there's sort of this cultural shorthand for it. So people had told me that it was going to happen. And even before that, you know, I was playing with the Kenner toys and I knew that the creatures had to come out somehow. So I, I just knew that that was going to happen. And some, somebody somewhere along the way had just told me, you know, like, Oh yeah, Kane, you know, Kane gets it early on. Um, but just, just to not have any cultural context for that must've been so scary. And of course, like that's why the movie got greenlit was that scene. Um, because it was so compelling and O'Bannon basically just in Shusit, they were like, and we have to make a story where there is this parasitic birthing scene. And that was kind of where the whole idea came from. Um, initially, which is super cool because, you know, because O'Bannon came off of Dark Star and had this pretty 
pretty bad experience critically with it. Um, and in terms of audiences, not really getting it. Um, but he found that he was really good with the space stuff and that he, maybe he could, you know, do something scary. And, uh, it's just like the, the sequence of events that came about leading to the fact that this freaking movie got made between the dissolution of Dune and the, the fact that like, you know, that O'Bannon had been working on that project and had seen Giger's work and that there and Cobb was brought on that as well. And then Star Wars came out and then Hollywood is more apt to greenlight space pictures. And then Dark Star led O'Bannon into thinking about aliens. And then, you know, they found Giger who was like willing to work on this production stuff and all of a sudden became a production designer. And like all of these, just these amazing things. That, and then Ridley Scott, who was coming off the duelists, you know, it's not like he was this, this, this legend at that point, you know, he, he had very little to his name, but he was the, he was the only person that I think could have helmed this movie at the time other than Kubrick. And I, I, I would have rather seen Scott's film because part of what's great about Scott is that he, uh, and, and also uh, frustrating about him, is that he, um, you know, gave so little direction to the actors, but he just had this incredible ensemble and um, basically just let them live together and be filmed by a million cameras at once. I love this shot. All the, the, our, our, the artistry, the tubing, the everything. I mean, oh my God, it's so believable. It doesn't even matter what that shit is. It looks like it belongs there. It looks like right. it, it functions. It looks like they're in the bowels of the ship. Do you remember what the term is for that? I, I always, there's a great term for this and I always forget it, but it's when they, when, you know, on a production design, they will buy all this like random crap like model pieces and junk from cars and things and just sort of glue it on just to give the, the surface appearance of complexity. There's like a, it's a great word for it that will come to me probably as soon as we're done with the movie. Um, but it's something that they did a ton on this film, um, just with this sort of this extraneous detailing. So now look at this. So like right now we're, we're an hour and 10 minutes or so into this movie and we still have not seen the alien yet. Isn't that amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, this this movie is a, is a testament and a lesson in methodology, in patience, in um, exploration, and things don't happen right away. Um, and I think the Alien films largely continue this um, this theme or or this this way of slowly unfolding into what we're going to see. Um, but no one does it like it, uh, the original. Hmm. Or no film does it like it, the original. Now they're in the narcissist. Or she's in the narcissist. Oh, they're both going. It reminds me a lot of the uh, of, of the salvage crew in yeah. Aliens right there. I, I never actually noticed that before. It's almost yeah. the exact same shot, even the color. Yeah. Uh, he had to rebuild uh, this ship, this whole scene. Um, there was no, uh, just based off reference. Um, they, of course, they had, didn't keep the set. Right. So he had to painstakingly uh, get all of that right, and he did. Or Cameron, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Fifteen, sixteen. 
God, this looks, the picture is so amazing. This, this 35th anniversary Blu-ray, I don't know if it's the same digital transfer you get with like the quadrilogy. It might be the same thing or the anthology rather, but um, I, I just can't get over how good it looks. Looks like it was shot yesterday. Yeah, and you can't beat film, you know. I mean, the, the textural quality of film is uh, – digital is really, really, really pristine. Um, and I, I sometimes it really works. Uh, sometimes it doesn't. And uh, with th this film, you know, the actual, using actual um, film really contributes to the atmosphere. Totally, yeah, but yeah, you're absolutely right with the, with the, the sort of physical aspect of it and the, the 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 texture of the film itself, but also because the depth of contrast is so much better. Mm -hmm. So you, you get these like, I mean, like look at Ripley's hair right now. Yeah, like it, it's she has you know black hair and it's underlit, mm -hmm. and yet you can still see gradations of black within it. Yeah, you know, um, Darius Kanji that would be much harder to to get. Totally, Darius Kanji and Alien Resurrection. I really feel like they brought this aesthetic back like it's as textural as alien the the shooting of alien resurrection is gorgeous each set is gorgeous i mean you it's as gorgeous almost as gorgeous in some ways as alien uh the ship isn't as familiar and of course it's the movie is not good um but uh they really bring bring the blacks back and it just feels authentic mm. This scene right here reminds me of, of the, the bay in Covenant where the alien is blasted out the... Uh, oh, yeah, totally. The, the loading bay yeah, uh, the with, loading the, bay. with the earth haulers and yeah. things, totally. The, the gold this, this shot, That shot right there, this, this, this is one of my favorite shots in Alien ever. It's like a cathedral. I oh, it's so... So he's symmetrically in the middle of the screen. You can see the Nostromo on his jacket, and he's just walking into this, just this inexplicable techno, you know, whatever type of landscape that is mm -hmm. but it, it looks like sacred like you said it's like a cathedral and the way it's shot with him right in the center of the, of the frame like that it's um you know i don't want to harp on this too much but it reminds me a lot of uh, of, of danny villeneuve's work in blade runner 2049 this scene right here there's a very similar scene in alien 3 where there's these tubes and one of the tubes i think is the alien's head yeah and yep. then that's that same yeah and then there's a similar scene in resurrection where Call is standing next to a vehicle that looks just like this in the beginning of Resurrection. We don't even know what that thing is. Right. And then this, this scene right here is repeated in Alien 3. I think those are the only two scenes that we ever get of the of the skin. Yeah, I don't think that there's skin in Aliens, is there? Yeah. I don't, I don't think so. In the year... 2510 <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. You know, in the novelization, he's singing Rolling Stones in that moment. I'm glad that they chose another song. I have, I actually have issues. I think that this far into the future, they're not going to be singing these songs. They're going to be singing songs that they grew up with we that we don't even know about. Well, to be fair, though, I do like John Denver. I know we've argued about this, too. I love the fact that John Denver is in Covenant, and I think that's a really... Ridiculous. A really, ridiculous. You, know, you, know what? you know what? When you leave something behind that's comfortable, you try to take pieces of it with you. And, and these people knew that they were never going back to Earth. No, but see, they, knew you're, they were, you're they were never going to sing Country Roads again. No, but she's singing Country Roads. This non-American... That's right. A hundred years in the future is singing a song that she wouldn't be singing because it w wouldn't have been music that she grew up with. Whatever. How do you know? Because it, you just know. 
Now you don't. It just also, it, take, Shaw, it took me right out of the moment. It was just awful. Well, but 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 when when Shaw leaves Earth originally, it's not even that far in the future. I mean, that's the first thing in the timeline. It's not even that far away. Here's what I'll say though. If, it's not the, it's not it's not this far into the future. You know. If, Here's what here's what I'll say though. If the characters were believable, I wouldn't have a problem with that that song at all. Because I have no one to root for, you start picking apart other things that aren't working for you, and that's what's happening. Moving on. <laughs> What'd you say? Why you got to root for David? Yeah. Hmm. Great character to root for. He is. He is not. Bitch. <laughs> I love that hat. I want that hat. Yeah. I have an Astromo hat, but uh, it's it's like so. Be- so you know, Henry, our our youngest, he uh, steals it, and we- he loves to like steal hats and wear them around the house. And, <gasps> Sorry, uh, and he wears an Astromo hat all the time. Yeah, that scene it reminds me of the dropship in Aliens. Just looks like there's sh- a ship hanging there, you know, or something. Oh, mm. I love that. I love the dirtiness and the wetness. There we go. Here's our favorite dude. Big Chap is back. What up? This is my favorite, one of my favorite introductions. The fact oh, that it's raising so its head. Oh my god, like. So oh. glorious. And, and you don't know what you're even looking at. You don't. You have no idea what you're looking at. And neither does Brett. Oh, that shot. Just transcendent filmmaking. Cutting right away to Jones, looking completely. Like he couldn't give a shit. Just watching it happen. I love how Parker is so visibly disturbed. Like, oh, I love it. And it's, it's... so quick. Like, like, look, like, look, so Brett was taken maybe seven seconds before that. You know, mm-hmm. it's so, it's so because before you have it, it's just like the crew. Like they, they haven't had a chance to process it yet. Um, and neither have neither have we. Yeah. You know, it makes it feel more like it's almost in real time. Yeah, like we don't have time because they don't have time. Right. What I love about the relationship between, or lack of relationship, I should say, between Ripley and Lambert is it's sometimes in movies like women, when women are written or they're portrayed in science fiction or whatever, they're like girlfriends and they're like, what, you know what I mean? Like they're just, they're just typical. They, they don't have a typical relationship, whatever that might be. It's, it's kind of tenuous at the same time. So a lot of men write women, they think they're writing smart women when women have issues with each other. And the women don't mm-hmm. get along like, oh, we wrote, we wrote them really good because they don't get along with each other. That's not writing smart women. But I, I feel like they play against type. And that's what I like about their relationship between um, Ripley and Lambert. Me too. Although they, they were supposed to be, uh, in one draft of the script, lesbians, which I always think is kind of... Yeah, I'm glad they did not go with that. That would have been know, like classical, so hetero male, like, let's make them lesbians. Yeah, like, make oh. sure they wear bikinis yeah. and also strap on. <laughs> put, them, put it in the show. I think you would probably love that. So, so listen to this. All right. So so Prometheus takes place in, what, 2089 when they leave Earth, right? Who cares? No, but 2089. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you like love Prometheus. I don't okay? love Prometheus. You've been there talking are... about, yeah, you, oh, Jamie, no, every other... see, here, here comes simplest. I had a revelation. Over, I did, I did, oh, and I aesthetically, aesthetically, I do no, love you, it. You love I, I will, I will read, I will read again because you are oversimplifying what I said again. Yes, there are elements of of Prometheus that I absolutely love, 
but I can't watch it. I have to turn the sound down if I'm going to watch it. It's okay. So it's, Prometheus is your favorite film. It's like so looking it's, at a gorgeous like, person and they open their mouth and they ruin it. Okay, it's kind of like David Beckham. Yeah, maybe I don't know much about David Beckham. Well, cause he's he's very handsome, and then and then he starts talking to me. He kind of sounds like this. He's just like, <laughs> what? What you would have expected? <laughs> so listen. So Prometheus takes place in something like 2000. I think it's 2089. Um, Country Roads, Country uh, Taking oh, Home Country Roads came out in the 1970s. So so let's just say it's 1970 that it came out. So 2089 is about is basically 120 years away from when Country Road came out. I listen to music from 120 years ago all the time. Like who? Like Stravinsky, like Ravel, oh, like different. Mahler, like Debussy, like m- much of the music, Foray, much of the music that I listen well, to. Well, and also to your point, Schoenfer, though, Dallas Bear, was listening Faber. to very old music. Okay, he was but, listening to Mozart. Yeah, but that's different. That that's that passes. No, it's not that, different. That, it yes, it is. People it listen is. to old shit. And you know what? And you know what? It makes a lot of sense to me that Shaw, Elizabeth Shaw, knowing that she was leaving Earth and would never be coming back to it, would take with her things that were comfortable and reminded her of her home planet. You know what? When we sent the Voyager <laughs> into space, you know what we put above the what, what Carl Sagan um, and his wife put on Voyager was a fucking gold LP with the sounds of humans kissing, breathing, the music of Beethoven. The most elemental, primal things. Yeah, oh, God, this, this scene is so beautifully done. Oh, it's gorgeous. Um, it's gorgeous. Again, it's like a cathedral, a tiny one. Um, here's, the, I had an epiphany, <laughs> though. I had an epiphany. Epiphany, epiphany. My, okay. my many epiphanies. Here's, yeah, what's your epiphany? It's not so much the song. It's Tennessee's reactions to the song. Uh, the guy who plays Tennessee, I can't remember, um, which is a, a riff off Dallas. It's like, come on. Um, but anyways, it's his reaction to it. It's like... He starts singing along. Hey, I I know what this is. This is John Denver. It's like shut the fuck up. Like, Why would he not know that? It's not that he wouldn't know that. It's the it's it's his reaction to it that makes me cringe. It's an overreaction to it. Okay, so 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 it's let me get this straight. I, you know, I I feel bad that we are ignoring one of the great scenes in the history of science fiction horror. We're talking about this, but I'm gonna make it really brief. Okay, it's all your fault. It, 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 I know. <laughs> Covenant is a fucking awesome movie. Listen, when, when if if you were at the in in the middle of nowhere in space and you were out repairing a fucking solar sail, floating around, and then you received a transmission of some humanoid object singing a John Denver song, and it was hundreds of years into the future, and you were prepared to never see Earth again, and you heard that, don't you think you'd be a little bit excited about it? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Case case closed. Okay. It's not. It's not. It's not. That's that's not the issue. The issue Covered is the-, the way it was acted. It was just overdone. It was just overacted. It wasn't understated. It'd be like, "Hey, man, wow, that's John Denver. I haven't, I haven't heard that song that's- since I was a kid." You would say, "Hey, I think that's John Denver." Space. <laughs> uh, anyways, let's go, let's go back to the movie. This music okay. in this scene—it's not in the soundtrack, which I wish it was. I have the complete score to this scene. This well, music it, it is, is now incredible. No, but I don't have this. I have the complete no, score. You, you do. I'm telling you, I put it in our folder today. Oh, sorry, people, so, you can't so now, have it. You know what? Our next episode is going to be just this fucking sound cue, this music cue, over and over and over again, because it is so good. Look at Ash. He's just yeah, steely. 
Just watching it happen. I love Veronica Cartwright's performance so much. She's yeah, she's uh, an unsung hero in this film. Um, yeah, they're 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 so they're just so real. Yeah. And uh, about Veronica Cartwright, really quick, uh, a lot of people give people like Veronica or characters like Veronica Cartwright and Ferris shit um, because right. they're dumb, not- like that. Right. Don't you live in real life? Like, how many stories have we read where someone um, gets hit by a car because they freeze um, right. instead of running, or or something happens to someone that they're with? And they feel terrible about it, but they were so fair, terrified that they couldn't, you know, that they didn't act. And then they get shit for it. These are human responses to to uh, situations like this. This is what makes this film brilliant, is these are human responses. Ripley responds differently. Dallas responds differently. Lambert freezes up and has a meltdown. That's re- how people react. And, but it's, uh, it's, very, it's very easy to watch a movie and to be like, well, why would you go in the basement? When in reality, like some, there are people who go in the basement. There are yeah. people who do the wrong thing. You know, like like that. That's that's what human, humans are not infallible, and uh, and and some people in the presence of terror, like you said, freeze in the middle of the street and get hit by a car. Yeah, and then here we go. Ah, oh, such a great moment. And again, yeah. it's so quick. It's cut off immediately. Yeah. It's that's such good filmmaking. I love the it's shot of this gun, the incinerator. Yeah. Gorgeous. Nothing. Oh, I love her. Veronica Cartwright Lambert. Look at her face. She's yeah. so believable. I just. Oh, my God. She's so fucking believable. And you can see Ripley holding it back. She's holding back her tears. I love this. I love this. This this, this yeah. continual spiraling towards doom. Mm-hmm. You know, it reminds me a lot of the terror, which I, I know you and I have talked about. Yeah. Um, it's I'm an AMC show out. that's just yeah. so good. Yeah. And the book, which I'm almost done with, is also just is just very 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 good. And something that I love about it is that you. It, it, I mean, it, obviously Dan Simmons was influenced by Alien when he was writing it because you have this almost paranormal force, like this monster attacking, but the the danger is so much more complicated than that because you're also, you have a crew of people where everybody has their own, you know, their own, um, reasons for, for doing things and they all have their own sort of behavioral quirks and they're putting a room together and not everybody can make it out. And it's like, what do you do in that case? Like, do you, do you eat your crewmate if you're starving, you know, and they're dying? Do you draw straws if not everybody can fit in the narcissus at the same time? Like, what do you do? Like, like, what is that event horizon? when the stakes become too high to act civilly anymore. Mm-hmm. What do you do in the presence of that? And, mm-hmm. and that, to me, that moment where behavior becomes, it has to become irrational to survive is so important. Yeah. And it's part of what's so amazing about Ripley and, and where she transitions into being heroic by saving, in my opinion, by saving Jones, 
is because that's a moment of supreme rationality in the midst of a series of irrational decisions. Like, you know, um, the, the fact that she's going to sacrifice the entire ship to destroy this alien. You think it was a rational decision for her to save Jones or an, an, an irrational one? I'm saying that it, that it, it, it was it was a rational decision in the context of everyday life. Like in in, in everyday life, if if you were to disregard everything else that's happening, oh, there's that fucking beautiful yeah. key again. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love it. If, if 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 it were just happening in life, yeah, you would save the animal. You would save the the cat. Like really, Scott says, like you know, he he chose to do that because uh, he he thought about if his dogs were on the ship. Yeah, you know, he would go back and get them. And and that's something we can all relate to. You know, like we would all if the house is burning and there's a way to go back in and get the animal out, you're going to do it, you know, um, if you're, like, not a sociopath. But what's happening is that the circumstances are so irrational. Like, the ship is self-destructing. The crew, everybody else on the crew is dead, all the other humans. Um, the company, as we're about to find out, is trying to, is it has no regard for your well-being at all. And you have no idea what you're in for, and everything's falling apart, and it's blowing up, and you're running to the escape ship. And then in the in the midst of that very... Um, sort of impossible sort of uh, straits that she's in. She makes this very human decision to go back and save the cat. Mm -hmm. And that to me is her her heroism. Yeah. It's funny, as we were talking about that, or you're talking about that, I'm thinking of, she does the same similar thing in Aliens. Instead of going back for a cat, she goes back back for something else that means something a lot to her, which was Newt. expandable there it is. this is a mysterious shot oh. he ends up in the room with her how'd that happen oh. that shot is so scary I love this moment I love her breakdown it's the only time we see her breakdown except for in aliens when she wakes up you know from that dream and she's terrified right and 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 and, and yes she's already over it see that yeah, she's yeah. such a fucking badass. Like, yeah. but she's not. It's not so much. I, I don't even perceive that as a badass. I perceive that as self-preservation. Um, she has to survive. She well, has to I get mean. off it, the it, ship. She's she's able she's able to cut off that impulse to give up. That, uh-huh. that I, a lot of like like she she is the opposite of a Lambert in that situation, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And and that and that's something that. I mean, I, I hope I'm like that. I have no idea if I am because I've never been in that situation before. And I really just I just really admire it. Oh, great shot. Yeah, great shot. His eyes are just so deep. Look how much taller than than him she is. Yeah. She's looking down at him. Ian McKellen or Ian Holm is very short. I love it too. This scene because there's now two aliens on board, right? Right, and 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 you, and you realize the threat is evolving, and 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 how far behind you are, and, and 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 these subtle cues, like you know, we were talking about how brilliant it is how he has these idiosyncrasies that keep popping up, like mm-hmm. when he's running in in his suit, or um, you know, like or here, like he gets the idea to throw her because of these mobiles on the ceiling, like these things that he that he does that um, are sort of strange and then you have things happening to him like physically like he's sweating milk 
and you know, <laughs> and without knowing, it, like the first time you see it, you're like, what? What is going on with him? Mm-hmm. Like, is he sick? Is he infected? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just these layers of strangeness to him that are so powerful. And 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 what's great about it is that when when his ultimate, um, see, I have a problem with that shot. Actually, Why? I've always had a that because because you can tell he's not actually putting force in her mouth this this looks fine now to me like that looks believable the, but that first shot for some reason see like right there it moves to the side mm-hmm. um that's like one of the very few things to me that i feel like they could have probably done better um but he, so even when his head comes off and you see the internal circuitry it still doesn't make any sense you know like like just like you were saying before like you know, with all of the, you know, the tubes on the walls and things like that. Like, you look at it and you go, like, they serve some function. I don't know what it is. Like, when, when his head falls off and you see those bulbs everywhere, mm-hmm. like, you know that they do something. But um, but your first reaction upon seeing it is, is what am I looking at? Like that, I mean, how scary would that should have been if you didn't yeah. know it was coming? It's another sort of mirror of Cain, but it's a different. It's a rev- it's it's the revelation of instead of something inside him that's alien, all of him is alien. All of him right. is, is 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 was unknown. I love that shot, guts and and uh, what, what do you call that stuff? That uh, glowing ends. Uh, it's called fiber uh, optics. Fiber optics. Yeah, they use a lot of that in the uh, construction of the Tyrell building in Blade Runner. Right. Yeah, and I remember I, I loved your interview on that. Um, where uh, I feel like we're plugging our other podcast a lot in the show, but that's fine. Um, I love how they found like the narrowest gauge fiber optics that you could buy. Mm-hmm to get the sense of scale right. I thought that was such a cool moment. So here, this, so this jump cut here, I think, yeah, uh, obviously, obviously it leaves, you know, there's, there's, there's some, uh, something to be desired, but also it, the fact that it, that it is so awkward, totally sells this, um, the impressiveness of the fact that this was all done in camera. And so that, so that's why I've never, I've never, you know, felt mm-hmm. like it was, uh, like, like, I'm so glad that they still have not fixed that with CG or anything. They haven't pulled a George Lucas and redone all this stuff, you know? I love Holmes' performance here. Mm-hmm. So poetic. There it is. <laughs> Our branding. 
Was that your idea to call the Perfect Organism podcast? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I started yeah. it, you know. Duh. Right, but I mean, but, but, like, but the name, because I know, you know, Peter was on board with you in the beginning. It no, was, he wasn't, was actually. Idea. I started the podcast, and then I looked for a host. Oh, but, but at that point, you already knew it was going to be Perfect Organism. Yes. That was a good good name. I never actually got to ask you about that. I love that smirk. <laughs> Parker showing some cleavage. <laughs> I just love how unpretty everything is. Nothing's pretty. This, you know, the suits, the, what they're wearing is dirty. They're not clean costumes. Um, and that's uh, uh, an aesthetic that aliens carried on with. Um, that's something that Alien 3 carried with, and Alien Resurrection, to its credit. Um, Prometheus and, and Covenant, not so much. Their, their, their suits were much cleaner by, you know, it was much less lived in. Um, but great costumes nonetheless. But I just love that nothing's perfect. I think uh, film, because we can do everything in film these days, and uh, things look newer. Uh, because of yep. digital and all that stuff, things look newer. So I love it when someone can authentically pull off lived in. It's very rare that we see it. There's more of Cobb's uh, symbols up in the ceiling there. I, I love how, how like they're so they're, like, they so clearly mean specific things, even if you don't know what they mean. It's, it's just, it just adds to this whole, like it, it's just, it's just a whole system of interlocking parts, making this ship up. Interlinked. Interlinked. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a baby crying. Yeah, that's Henry. He's uh, oh, I was thinking it was the upstairs. movie. Mike is Mike is. I was like, go. what is that? Is that is that for <laughs> for a reason? I was like, <laughs> is that Jonesy? Cute. And I've never heard that before. No, that's our uh, that's our one and a half year old. But Aww. Mike is gonna gonna go grab him. He's little roly poly pudgy boy. He's so cute. He looks so much like Tom Hardy. It's a little weird. Your boy does. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you. I'll send you a picture later. It's like it's like a little. I'm like, Micah, did you uh, spend time on the Dark Knight Rises set at some point? Again, this cathedral-like atmosphere here. Yeah, it's inexplicable machines. Do you think you'd be able to hold it together in this situation? Um, I don't know. Um, I recently had an, uh, an issue where I strained my back, where I pulled my back at work, and I went through some really, really terrifying, um, what do you call it? 
spasms? Yeah. Well, no, no, not spasms. Sorry, I'm, I'm thinking for, of the word um, oh, anxiety attacks. Um, right. Where my whole body was shaking, and it was because I was so scared that my back was never going to recover. And so I'm processing what am I going to do? How am I going to live? What am I going to do? How am I going to pay for my car? And so my body was shaking, shaking because of it. And then my back was spasming at the same time. So that's how I was. It was fear what I was in. I was in complete physical fear. Um, so this type of situation, man, I don't know. I, 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 I think I would be, I mean, I when I got high, uh, <laughs> I, 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 was, I was a hot mess. I don't know. It's sort of like, like you know, those moments. Where I feel like in uh, in in the It film that was remade, uh, that that was made in 2017. Uh, they do a good job with this, but it's like when you're a kid and you're alone in a basement and the lights go out and you run as fast as you can upstairs because you're convinced something's about to grab your foot. Um, I feel like this whole sequence for Lambert and 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 everybody, but but especially for Lambert, is sort of like she's trapped in that liminal moment between being back up the stairs and having something swishing in the darkness at her foot. And mm-hmm. it's sort of like, I, I feel like when she's, when she's like, just, you know, when she's, um, when she's like preparing for all the supplies with the narcissus with Parker back there, I feel like it, it's like that exact fucking Jonesy. Yeah. It's like that exact sensation of, of like, she's afraid to turn around cause she might see something she doesn't want to see. Um, it's just so scary, and, and and to me, part of why Alien Isolation works so incredibly well is uh, is it's just it, you get that same feeling, mm-hmm. and 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 for all of the alien related media that I've consumed in my life, which is this scene right here, this oh, oh yeah. my god, oh my god, the shadow of this creature, oh it's terrifying. She sees it. Oh, someone needs to give her an award for this performance. It is just. She's like, what the fuck is this thing? We gotta Parker. get her. Oh my god! Oh my, we should. We should get. I would die to talk to Veronica Cartwright. Let's let's shoot her an email. That'd be amazing. Um, but what what's amazing with isolation oh, is this shot. I'm sorry. Here we go. Oh. The alien has never looked this beautiful since. I was although there's a few scenes in Covenant that I thought it looked really good. Yeah, but not like this. Not like this. Yeah, there, 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 I mean, it, it's, it's amazing that in all the years since and in all the things that have come out, it's never looked this exquisite. And yet you still don't see much of it. Mm-hmm. I love it. You really don't. It's like Jaws. Ah. And the music is just so incredibly climactic. Oh my god, I fucking love that shot. There's Brett's foot, <laughs> of course. Yeah. This, the sounds, the, the, her panting. We don't know what's happening. I just love it. Like and this I, final, yeah. oh god, and then this, this final scream. Oh. 
that. Oh, God, it's just fucking amazing. The way it echoes and reverberates down the halls. Again, the sound... I, I feel like we don't talk about the sound design of this movie enough. It, it's just a... Such a huge part of it, the way it's mixed, too. And then, and then, like, to think now it's dawning on Ripley that it's just her and the cat now, you know? Oh, and that reaction shot. Yeah, that scene, though, I mean, that with Parker and the blood, I mean, it's Parker, who's this stoic, huge guy. Um, they're just completely eviscerated and... Dead. Like half, oh, man. like it, it breaks my heart to see him that way. Like, like he's like a little bit like um, Dylan. I mean, there's just oh. And yet again, here she is. Like she she has her momentary panic, her her completely understandable freakout, mm-hmm. and then within seconds she is acting. And th- and that's why Ripley is amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's uh, there's many reasons why, but that that's why she's so impressive to and me yeah and it's not amazing because what she's doing is inhuman or or like overly heroic she's just her her instincts are, are serving her and we know people like that we see stories like that of people who do heroic things all the time um mm-hmm. she's just she's made of that kind of fiber um right and it has nothing to do with her gender it has all to do with her character right and 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 that 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 part of her character is tested you know again and again and again and again in the franchise and and that's why you know because people do isolated moments of heroism or isolated moments of, of extreme bravery but the fact that ripley is continually dragged back into situations that call for that and then she just always steps up to it yeah it's just uh she really represents the best of us you know I wonder whose voice this is for Mother. We should look that up. Yeah, she. I think she was a radio actress. Um, I love it. Yeah, me too, yeah. She's very comforting, yet very cold and distant at the same time. Here's that pyramid thing I was talking about. So, like, you know, Ripley, she's just, uh, Sigourney Weaver's just crouching on the other side of it, mm-hmm. but you would never know by the way mm-hmm. it's shot. It's it's just amazing. Like it's it seems like you never see the same hallway, you know, more than twice. Man, these colors, this the camera moving with her, it's amazing. And she's not going slow. That camera's booking it with her. Right. And again, it's a steady cam. Yeah. Low angle steady cam shot. So it's it's like it's it's another human running alongside of her. And James Cameron really uh conjured this again in aliens. Um, I, I, this is fodder for another episode at some point, but James Cameron copies quite a bit from Alien. Quite a bit. God, the high contrast lighting. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just so unnerving. Yeah. What a beautiful, what a beautiful, beautiful creature.
Yeah, but in the credits, the, wow. the voice, so the voice of Mother is hell. Look yeah, that. that shot is amazing. I know. It's also fact, reflected in Prometheus too. You can see a very similar shot in Prometheus. Mm. Your favorite movie. Um, <laughs> Your mama's my right. favorite movie. Oh, <laughs> and that theater is always open. <laughs> um, Helen Horton, though the voice of Mother, uh, I, I, I really, I really don't know that much about her, and, and I, I, know, I know she's unfortunately dead, but I. I yeah, we, we gotta we gotta do more research on her and, and how she made that performance because it really is just indelible. I really feel like it's easy to overlook how impressive Balaji Badejo's performance is um, in the suit. Like it, it, he obviously was was very physically well suited for it because he was 400 feet tall and only weighed nine pounds. You know, like he just had like the right the right build for it. But he also just like his his work on the movement really shows. And I think my I think my favorite. Or at least one of my favorite shots of, of the xenomorph in this whole film, a big chap, is um, when he's approaching Lambert slowly and he's kind of waving his hand, you know, which we've already passed that moment, of course. But um, the way that it, that it happens is so so balletic and so uh, elegant, and and I, I can't think of another film like that where where they choose to make oh, the just, yeah. They choose to make the creature so attractive, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. like it's it's obviously it's 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 horrifying and unsettling and dangerous and looks, you know, hideous. But it's so beautiful and yeah. it's so it's, it's so almost symmetrical. Like, it's it, the way it moves is but, but also just just the motion that that Badejo brings to it is mm -hmm. just so, so hauntingly mm -hmm. gorgeous. And, and especially, you know, because um, remember, like like in the in the script. By this point, the the xenomorph is nearing the end of its life cycle. It has a really short life cycle, so like now the movements are even slower and they're more languid. And um, especially aboard the Narcissus, which you know where we'll be in a few minutes, um, it's so uh, it's so clear, you know, just the the grace and the yeah. elegance of the movement. What's interesting about the creature too that uh, this this what just along the lines of what you're saying, like you think about uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, which is an incredible film that I absolutely love. Wow, um, but if you look at the creature, it's kind of it's kind of nothing. It's everything, but it's nothing, and it's disgusting. It's really disgusting. Um, whereas the alien is not disgusting. It's very beautiful. It's very elegant, um, and you can't compete with the design of the alien. Um, and the thing is, the thing. The creature for the thing is very different because it, it's very effective because it's it's a, it could be anything and that's terrifying you right. know. But it's kind of the point of, of yeah. Oh, right. totally, totally, totally. Um, but there's no way that you can compete with the alien. Um, and uh, I just I there you can't even compare the two. You know. Oh, totally. I I, I can't think of 
and I mean, the, the xenomorph is the reason I love Alien. Like, first and foremost, at the end of the day, and this is something that we've talked a little bit about. Obviously, Ripley is a huge part of my life. Obviously, that explains why you like Covenant. Then <laughs> I'm serious. I meant that seriously. I mean yeah, that seriously. I, it probably has something to do with it. That that to me, the most important thing to me about Alien is the xenomorph. Everything else is sort of a tier below that. I, I think that Ripley is is the next most important thing to me, and that numerous other elements within the storytelling and within the universe are, are almost as important. But for me, the reason I fell in love with it was the xenomorph, and the reason that I will always love it is the creature. I, I just think that Giger's creature design uh, changed uh, uh, my life in a really deep way, coming across it as a kid and falling so deeply in love with it and feeling so horrified and transfixed and um, nothing will ever come close to it. I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't imagine any other creature design having that kind of an impact on me. This, th this whole sequence reminds me a lot of Douglas Trumbull's work on 2001, like the wormhole sequence. Always, I've always really seen a lot of parallels with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. I love the extended um, explosion. Like, it's believable. Like, there's no... In space, because there's no gravity, you know, this, this stuff's going to go on for a while, you know? Right. So before Alien, they, they didn't really have this fourth act idea um, in uh, in horror movies. Like like to, like like for the most part, they would end with this, and then of course you know in Aliens it gets done again. This this idea that the the threat you know you think it's over and then mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. you have this one final horrible experience. Um, but again, like just if I, I I keep coming back to this idea that if I had been alive in 1979 and been able to go see this movie. It's another one of these moments that I just would have been just so afraid of, mm -hmm. you know, because you finally chill out for a second and you think, you know, what's happening. And then it's like, oh, my God, like now I'm in an enclosed space with this thing. That's so scary. You know, we get a lot of questions about why our cat, who's named Ripley, um, is not named Jonesy. And, uh. It's it's entirely just a, a gender thing, but 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 if we had gotten a boy cat, it, it would have been Jones. He's so cute, a little furball. I love uh, this is kind of a non sequitur, but that these the uh, cryo tube they recreate these same cryo tubes in Alien Three. It's not they don't it's actually breaks huge breaking continuity, but these they go back to this design in Alien Three. The Lotus design, yeah. Can I dream? I think we both can. <laughs> it's a great scene. I want to point out I'm literally eating popcorn right now. <laughs> <laughs> There's no other way to watch a movie. So you you have issues with this, right? No, no, I don't have, I don't have any issues with this. My, you do, I, I, I I thought you you've you've had problems with her sort of sexualized aspect. I, I have problems with people sexualizing this. This is not a sexual okay. scene. This is a scene of Ripley being comfortable, stripping down, feeling comfortable, feeling at home, 
this this plate this thing is her home now and uh, so she is as comfortable as anyone who is alone would be. So she's naked, and it's not sexual whatsoever. What I have issue with is these fanboys who post this shit, um, sexualizing it. It's not sexual, right. and it de- and it, it just it's it's an insult to her character. Although I do think that there, well, obviously there's an intentionally sexual aspect to it, just from a an imagery standpoint, like the fact that we're seeing the, you know, the lead actress now stripping into her underwear. Um, she's which, feeling you know, invaded. Is, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the fact that the alien is now so, uh, transfixed by her. Well, um, I don't, is it transfixed by her? I mean, it's the only person. It seems the, like the, it. I mean, he's narcissist not, he, with her. Yeah, but, but it's not, it's well, I guess maybe that's part of it, but it, but it's, it seems sort of like it, it doesn't want to do anything. It just sort of wants to observe her, wants to watch her, wants to leer at her a little bit. Or um, like you said, it's, it's also supposed to be dying. Yeah. But, I was going to say, you said that it's kind yeah. of in its last stages of life, perhaps. I think that's a theory. I don't know if that's true. I love that yeah, shot of her fingers. Yeah, slow fingers. In, in the, in the, in the script, in the shooting script, it, it, it is dying at this point. Interesting. But, um, and th- th- there's no like direct allusions to it in the film, so it's sort of become part of the the mythos. Again, the strobing, mm-hmm. the strobe light. Ridley Scott loves that. I love it's, that he shoots through things. Strangers. I love this old this old Ridley Scott Ridley Scott Ridley Scott who <laughs> the way he shot things. I love how she's feeling so, I mean, she's naked, not naked, but she's nearly naked. You know, she's feeling, she had her arms kind of up to her side, like so vulnerable. I think it's really easy to, overlook what a revolutionary design choice the inner jaw was Mm -hmm. because it's another one of these things we've just become so used to but that like that there's a reason why they're fixating on it so much in this because like that was an element that people had never seen before in Mm -hmm. a movie you know i love that another subtle otherness yeah the axe on the wall is what uh shaw uses in prometheus Mm, good catch yeah yeah the fire axe I love that pressure suit design so much. Looks like a spider on the um, on the the arm of that coat or the, behind her. It does. it does. It looks like a like a black widow. I just again love the the womb of the of this room. Um, this room is is everything. It's home for her right now. It's her safe spot. And, and because we've all had that, you know, as, as kids, there's been like that one mm-hmm. place in the house you could go where you knew. And it's not like I, I'm not trying to make it sound like I had a tortured childhood or anything. But, you know, when things were hard, there was always a place that I knew I could retreat to, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. Um, like like a quiet corner in the room where I felt safe. And for her, she now has willfully left that, you know, and that and again, and now it's just her with the, the breathing. And it's just oh, it's just it's just so intimate and so scary. And again, the xenomorph just languidly watching her. 
God, this imagery is so fucking iconic. I love that sound. The yep. It's interesting, though, that Ripley's singing that song, You Are My Lucky Star. And it does, Shaw echoes that with the song that she's singing. She's calming herself. They're calming themselves with these songs. Right. I do like that aspect a lot. Oh, my God. It's and, just gorgeous. The, it's just, I know, the fucking Big Chap is so beautiful. But this this slow pulling in, yeah. see that on both sides? Yeah. That there's a... Uh, like a slow zoom going towards both subjects. It's just, it's just such a cool, mm -hmm. like this, it's, a, it's another very Hitchcockian sort of tension building device. I love it that her chair is moving around. She can't, I, then, the, <laughs> then the alien is like, what the fuck? Oh God, it's so beautiful. Yeah. Her fear, man. It feels like these images have been here forever, but mm -hmm. there was a time when they weren't. Like there was a time when this was like the first time somebody had seen it. There he goes. It's just so hard to imagine a world where this film didn't exist. Yeah, it's my favorite movie, you know, and uh, and of the three, is it? Oh, it's my favorite movie of all time. Alien is this first one. Oh yeah. Oh okay. yeah. Okay. Uh, Alien Three comes close to it. It's but but uh, Alien will always be my favorite movie. I, I I can't get around that. It's just it's it's the movie that I it's most firmly embedded in my heart and in my in my personhood. I think. Yeah, Alien Three is that for me, but it's hard for me to watch it. It's hard for me to see Ripley go through that. Yeah, a Alien Three is a very difficult movie. But see, but with Alien, you see her win. Oh God, yeah. that shot, just yeah. the symmetry, Gorgeous. the curvature on with the shot mask. too. Yeah. Yeah, that shot I love, and it's the look of relief, of of tired relief. And then here we go. Here's the famous transmission. Which again, when it comes back at the end of Alien Three, is my my favorite ending of any film ever made. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it's haunting and perfect. It is the perfect ending to the trilogy. Yeah, me too. And 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 there's there will there will always be a part of me, and I really do mean this, Jamie. There will always be a part of me that wishes that the trilogy had just been the end of the entire thing. That huh. the conclusion of the third movie could just be it. As much as I love Covenant, and as much as I love parts of Resurrection and Prometheus, um, there will always be a part of me that will mourn the fact that we didn't get that perfect poetic closure for Ripley. Because yeah. But we did get a perfect poet only poetic Like This story of this Ripley, this character is dead. She is gone. It's over for her. Like yeah, but... that Ripley in Resurrection isn't Ripley, um, and prequel or Prometheus and Covenant are completely separate stories. This is I know, the, I know. I, this I, is I just, the ending just... of the story. But it's just to me like this Ripley is so tied up in what Alien means that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to continue it past her her death felt kind of wrong to me. Mm -hmm. That being said, you know there's there's uh, there are still great stories to explore and there's still amazing stuff being made. And holy shit, we just finished the movie. Yeah. Uh, interesting just tidbit. Terry Rawlings, who edited this film, also edited um, The Secret of Nim, who was all, which was also scored oh, really? by Jerry Goldsmith. I didn't know that he edited that. You, you love that movie. Oh, my God. I fucking love The Secret of Nim. Oh. You know, I can't watch it. Why? 
because I saw it when I was too young for it, and it really... Oh, Carlo Rambaldi, also, just the, the mechanics of that alien head are just so incredible. Yeah. Um, it really it really fucked me up, and and I, I've, t- I've talked to Mike, because Michael loves the movie, too. I've talked to her about this, about how as a... I, th- I saw it in a children's library when I was probably three or four, and um, and I just remember, like, the scene of the the like the there's some kind of a machine and it's in a field and it's like coming after the animals mm-hmm. and the sky is yeah. red yeah i just like the plow I had night- the plow is here i had run, nightmares about that run for your lives for, <laughs> for my entire childhood yeah that was it's, a nightmare that movie that. scared me as a kid it scared me to death i gotta sure. give it another shot you should yeah Hey man, this has been a great time. This has been, been really awesome. fun. I'm so glad we got, you know, we finally got to watch this movie together. I know, I know. It's been great. You know, I the last time, um, when I first met Dan, who was our co-host for uh, Shoulder of Orion, we went and saw um, 2049 together, but we were in separate theaters, of course, because he was in Oakland and I was down here near San Francisco, right. uh, Los Angeles, and I had my headphones on and we were texting and kind of talking as it was going. But so this is, this is great to kind of share this really sacred two hours of this film. Yeah, man. It means so really much special. to us. Yeah. I couldn't ask for a better company. I got to say, this has, been, this has been a really special experience. Absolutely. Um, and to you who are still listening to this, thank you so much for joining us on this crazy, there's Balaji, my Helen, man. Helen Horton. There's Helen Horton. Um, oh, and there's the Hanson. Yeah. So we we got to do something about the score because um, there, there, there was so much back and forth with, mm-hmm. uh, with that, but we'll, we'll, we'll say that. Um, thank you guys so much for joining us on this experience. This was a lot of fun. It's something that, like Jamie said in the beginning, we wanted to do for a while. We are hoping to do this every Alien Day for a new film. So, um, in the coming years, hopefully, you'll see, you know, all the rest of the the trilogy and then beyond. And uh, and hopefully, you like it and you enjoy it. And maybe one of these years, we'll you know incorporate some of your own audio into it too, and we'll make it a whole community experience because there is something really beautiful about, um, you know, sharing the experience of watching these great films with, uh, with people you, uh, whose company you enjoy. And, uh, and again, Jamie, I enjoy your company more than just about anybody else. Absolutely. So my friend, so I, I, that, I appreciate that. I, I, I truly do too. Like these days that I'm living where I'm so invested and so connected to, um, w- what brought me joy as a child is what is bringing me joy as an adult. And that's because of you in many ways so that's awesome um, i'm i'm very blessed to be a part of it and thank I you guys for listening we love all you guys thank you so much for joining us and uh happy alien day indeed happy alien day all right bye for more on this and our other projects please visit www.perfectorganism.com If you'd like to join the conversation, find us on our closed Facebook group, Building Better Worlds. To support the show, please consider visiting www.perfectorganism.com forward slash support. We've got some great perks available. And as always, please consider rating, reviewing, and sharing the show. We can't tell you how much your support means to us but we can hopefully show you by continuing to provide better, more ambitious, and more dynamic content for years to come.